Welcome to the Restoration Church Podcast. To learn more about our church, give, share a prayer request, or access our weekly worship guide, visit us at www.restorationlex.com slash this week. Um, if you weren't here last week, we began kind of a couple of weeks looking at who we are as a community. Um, I know uh, I want to say hello to those on uh, the live stream as well, watching from a lot of different places, traveling and stuff too. I know you're joining us here. And uh, talking about where we're headed together as a church family, looked at um, the, the threefold commitment to a person, a path, and a promise, the person of Jesus, the path of discipleship, the promise of restoration. That's where we are moving toward together and how having that common direction, having that common purpose is really what begins to form us as a community. I use this picture of a rowing team uh, who bring together all their individual strengths and their, their, their passion, and they bring that into the whole, into unison, and these rhythms propel these rowing teams forward. So this rhythm, if you remember, is called the swing, and it's where every member of a team, in their different strengths and their different weaknesses and differences, they bring themselves together in this common rhythm, in this swing, and it becomes this beautiful, almost like symphonic picture of how we work together as a church family. Uh, this guy named Daniel James Brown, he wrote a book about this called The Boys in the Boat, and he said, the rowers must rein in their fierce independence and at the same time hold true to their individual capabilities. Races are not won by clones. Good crews are good blends. Someone to lead change. Someone to hold something in reserve. Someone to fight the fight. Someone to make the peace. Differences can be turned to advantage instead of disadvantage. Only then will it feel as if the boat is moving on its own. Only then does pain entirely give way to exaltation. Good swing feels like poetry. And that's what I want to talk about today is after we've talked about the direction we're moving in together is talk about the shared rhythms that actually propel us forward, that we would have something in common as a church that beyond just sitting in a room together, beyond just gathering in living rooms and sharing meals together, that there is rhythms in our lives that we share that actually move us toward where we say we are going. You know, Aristotle famously said that we are what we repeatedly do. I was uh, at Tyrese Maxey basketball camp, not myself, my son was, but I took him there, and it was in the, uh, the UK Joe Craft Center. And uh, this is in the super secret, like, got to scan your eyes to get in part where there's like gym stuff down there. And hanging on the wall, I was shocked to see was this quote by Aristotle, you are what you repeatedly do. And it's, it's talking in their context about training, about how once you repetitively have these habits, these practices, these rhythms, they form you into the type of player that you want to be. But this is also true, I believe, for churches that we are collectively what we repeatedly do, not just as individuals in forming these habits, our rhythms that we share week in and week out as a church family form us into who we are becoming. It's not just how we are following Jesus. The question becomes, how are we following Jesus together? How are those rhythms propelling us forward? I find this fascinating, and I find it fascinating that in the first chapter 
or the first picture we have in the Bible of the coming of the Holy Spirit. When we see the, the at Pentecost, the Spirit fall upon the church, we get this picture of how it's formed. And it doesn't give us a picture after Peter preaches and many are saved. It doesn't give us a picture that the next week they decided, let's do another service. That was really good. It doesn't say that after the Holy Spirit fell, all of a sudden, let's plan the next revival. Let's move from service to service to service. It shows you the very first thing, the very first thing, the picture it gives us is this community, these believers who are moving in the same direction together. This is a very famous passage. I'm sure many of you have heard before. Acts chapter 2, read this with me here on the screen. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the, prop, by, by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who we're being saved. Now, wrapped up in these words, we find this picture of how God is actually forming the church. You see common rhythms. You see a common life. You see a growing family that is welcoming people home. People added to their number daily, those who were being saved. You can see that these rhythms are shaping something among the early church. I see three rhythms in particular here, these rhythms in this picture of the church that I believe are the rhythms that actually propel us forward. The first rhythm I want to talk about today and invite us all into is the rhythm of practice, meaning that we practice the way of Jesus together. Notice it here. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. That word there in the Greek for devoted, for devotion, is this word that I'm not going to try to pronounce because I don't want to be laughed at. It's a tough one, but this word, it means to be steadfastly attentive to to give unremitting care to a thing. It is more than just a passing belief. It's more than, than repeating and sustained things that happen in our minds. It is a devotion to a practice. It's like saying, I'm going to give, we're going to give our attention to these things that form us over and over and over again. It's not just individual devotion, even though that's present. We see this here. It's communal devotion where a group of people, they turn their hearts towards the same thing. They push in the same direction towards something that is ahead of them. That's what practice literally means. It means we're doing something for the sake of being formed together. We're committed to consistently and intentionally acting in a way that forms us. So in the Church of Acts, we see a something here, a picture of us for what we are devoting ourselves to. Well, first we see they're devoted to the Scriptures. Every Sunday, all, every week you come here, we're preaching from the Scriptures. We're not preaching from my good ideas. I ran out a long time ago. We're preaching from the Scriptures because that's where the actual life of the church is found. We're digging ourselves into God's story, learning how His story is our story. There, there's a devotion to prayer, not just praying, but seeking to pray together. It's why for the next nine weeks, starting next week, we're giving all of our attention as a church to prayer in the series called Teach Us 
to pray. There's a devotion to community. That word there in the Greek is koinonia, meaning this is not just surface-level relationships. This is not just sitting in a room and answering the right questions. This is intimate life together as an extended family. And you may not know this, but community is a spiritual discipline. It's something that we commit to, right? It's something we practice and do over and over again. Sometimes, and this may be a shock to you, sometimes you don't feel like doing community, do you? Sometimes community is a delight. Sometimes community is a discipline. And sometimes we learn in this process of when it's not a delight to commit ourselves within that to this practice, this devotion to gathering together as a family, practicing the way of Jesus, forming ourselves into the image of Jesus in that way. Which means for our church, the goal is not simply to have a bunch of stuff that we give you, this information week in and week out that we think you're going to be formed by and then hope for the best, just cast you out with lots of good godly information as if this is just content creation Sunday. You go out and do with it what you will. No, our goal is not just to help you believe, it's to help you to live out what you believe because that's where practice takes place. That's where devotion takes shape. I love Henry now when he says that You don't think your way into a new kind of living. You live your way into a new kind of thinking. That statement for me has been really transformative. I grew up in a world where I just stuffed my head with as much Jesus stuff as possible and hoped that I would grow. How does that work out for us? Not very good. And it's not that knowledge is bad. It's not that knowing more about God is bad. Theology is important. I love theology. But what I've had to learn over and over again the hard way is I just can't keep stuffing information in here and think that that actually changes who I am. We need more than knowledge as we gather in places like this. We need practice. And that is what we have been called to. As a church family, we have to think through what does it look like to practice the way of Jesus together. The second rhythm we seek together is this rhythm of presence, meaning we, are, we, we commit to be present to God and to one another. We inhabit this world we're in, an increasingly depersonalized, disconnected, excarnational world where you no longer have to be present in most situations. We are compartmentalizing, therefore, our spiritual lives to where we separate that as something apart from where we actually are in our daily basis. We have disembodied information we are given about God, and we operate most of the time, culturally at least, from a place of individualism, as if my personal relationship with God is the only reality that I inhabit. And that's just not the picture we see in the scriptures. The temptation in this becomes clear that we move further and further into spiritual isolation, trying to get ourselves right with no clue and no connection to others around us. We're here, but we're not here. I mean, y'all know, right? Y'all know what it feels like to be in a room with somebody and, and they're here, but you know they're, they're not here. You know what that feels like. It's debilitating. It's painful. And so part of our discipline in the life of Jesus and being formed into his image is not just being here, but being here. When we gather around tables and share meals, not just being there, but really, truly being there with other people. 
Jesus and, and, and what we see in the church of Acts is this rebellious act of defiance against our culture in choosing not just to be in the same room together. That is, in some ways, continuing to be more and more revolutionary. But when we gather together to be here with God and to be present with one another. Again, in Acts 2, it says all the believers... They were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. You know, as a church, that's where, a church that's where we start with this truth that we say often around here, that God is already present and at work where we are. That is a foundational foundational theological truth for our church, that we don't work God up. He's already in our homes, our neighborhoods, our, 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 our jobs, our schools, already present and at work. And, and the reality is we practice showing up to how we know this God is already present to us. I was having lunch with a, a person who's new to our church this week, and we were talking about this. We were meeting in La Taquiza getting tacos. And I said, I want you to know that God is just as present in La Taquiza, as he is on that room on Sunday mornings, he may be doing different things, but God is certainly present in La Taquiza, amen? Among these beautiful, wonderful tacos, God, I mean, it's just clear that God is present in these meals. But that's, that's the expectation that we want to grow and continue to have as a church family, is that I don't go somewhere where God hasn't shown up. I don't bring God to people. God is already present, already at work all around us. I don't have to work him up. I don't have to behave his presence into existence. What a relief. Oh my gosh, what a relief to think about. I'm freed then if God is already present. If I don't have to do something to get him to show up, if God is present to me, then I am free to be present to others because I don't have to worry. Because if God's already here, if God's presence is with me here, I am free then to be present to you, to be present to the people who are around me. It says in Acts 2, you notice this, you probably did, it says they had everything in common. And you may be at that point rolling your eyes and thinking, yeah, right, there's no way they had everything in common, or at least that lasted about a day. And I don't think it means what we think it means there. It doesn't mean that everyone was sort of a clone, a Stepford Christian. There is a oneness here, but it's not sameness. They shared a common story. They had a willingness to enter into the stories and struggles of others and truly be present in those struggles, even sacrificially. They're talking about seeing need and selling very expensive things, especially in that time, just to make sure that someone else had enough. That's presence in tangible ways. I am so willing to be present in your struggles and your stories that I will sacrificially take from mine to make yours better. That's powerful. Because God is already present at work, and because that God is a God of abundance and not scarcity, I know there's always enough to go around. And so generosity can become the norm and not the exception. I can step into and be present where you have pain, because I don't have to worry that in loving you, God is not going to give something to me. That we're not going to run out. 
we're not going to run out. We're not going to run out. And because of that, when we enter into a mindset like that, that God is present in his fullness of love right here and now. So I can be, I can tap into that. I can live into that presence with one another. I am free then to slow down and choose to be present. And being present in those places is the only place where we really truly can receive love, right? I mean, nobody receives love in passing. The most loving thing you can do, you know this with kids, you know this with friendships, you know this with with marriage, you know this in every relationship, the most loving thing you can do is be present, truly, truly present. And when we learn to be present to God, and when we learn to be present to one another, it moves us into this third rhythm I'm going to talk about today, and that is participation, meaning that we join God in his restoring work where we are. Are. Hannah was talking about this earlier, this, this word that I, I, I hesitate to use sometimes because for me at least, I don't know about you, but for me at least this word has a bit of baggage in the church, and this word is mission. And this baggage for me, it comes from this very well-intentioned but very misguided understanding of a God who calls us out into the world around us. And I'd sum it up like this, the kind of, kind of the mindset within this is through Our words and actions, we bring God to people. We bring God to places where he is absent. And if we don't, he won't be there. And so, in some very unhealthy versions of this, it goes further. It says, if you don't bring God to people, that's on you. It's a recipe for anxiety. It's a recipe for understanding your role with God as being something where you have something to prove constantly. It's heavily given to manipulation. It almost guarantees you that you're on the road to burnout, to exhaustion, to disillusionment. I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it. And honestly, I've lived it. This mindset that if I don't do it for God, it won't get done. But if God is, if God is truly present and at work around us in both ways we see, in both ways we do not see, something fundamentally must change then about our posture towards the world around us. I'm never walking into a place where God is not already moving. I'm never entering into a room where God is not already present. I'm never entering into and participating in a relationship where God is not already behind the scenes in ways I may not even see moving in someone's life. And if that's true, my job, your job, our job is simply to discern what God is doing and have the courage to to join him. That's it. The pressure is off. The pressure is on God to be God in that situation and not us to bring God to places where we thought he was absent. That's how this passage in Acts 2 closes out. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Think about this statement with me here. What we're seeing here is an absence of an evangelism strategy. There is not a behind-the-scenes meeting talking about, we got to get more in here, friends. 
We got to get it going. We got to get the evangelism happening. This is awesome. We want more to be a part of this awesome experience of God's presence. There is no evangelism strategy that you are seeing present here. There is not the planning of a massive crusade. There is not a door-to-door salvation drive happening. There is not a massive worship experience that is being planned. What we see is that the Lord is saving people and calling them into his presence, into the family of God and the witness of the love that they see is drawing thousands of people in that's so noticeable, the life and the love that they have, that they are present with one another, that daily people are joining the kingdom just watching what's happening. That's what's happening in this passage, my friends. That's incredible. Amen? It's incredible. And it's a challenge to us. Not that there's anything wrong with evangelism strategies and worship services and door-to-door salvation. If that's your thing, go for it. I love when the Jehovah's Witnesses show up at my house. I put chairs out front. It's fun. They sent the elders to me because they couldn't get me. They kept sending the oldest person in the church. I love when people come door-to-door. Maybe that's your thing. I don't know. It's not to say those things are wrong. It's to say what is the clear evidence both in the scriptures and in the history of the church is that the biggest evangelism strategy, the clearest evangelism strategy, is the lives that we live together. It's the lives of love that became the witness to the people around us. And that means our mission strategy is simple. It's three things. It's show up, it's be present, and it's join God. It's that simple. Show up, be present, and join God in what he is already doing. And this is not some new concept. This is literally the life and the mission of Jesus. We did not see Jesus live an anxious and hurried mission all around him. He wasn't rushing from one place to the next. Why? Because in John 5, he says this, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does. I mean, Jesus here, we see this. He's living with this expectation that the Father's already at work around him. The Father is already doing the things. And Jesus simply discerns the work of the Father and joins him, says, I can't even do anything on my own. I only do what is already taking place around me. If that's true of Jesus, why wouldn't that be true of us? That we would join in the work that God is doing all around us. I love that promise. I love that promise. It means that as I move into the city, it means that as I walk through my neighborhood, it means that as we go towards our jobs and our schools, we respond to what God's already doing. We join him where he is. It happens in conversations over coffee with the friends sharing our faith journey. It happens as we care for the homeless and the housing and secure. It happens as we do the slow work of justice in our cities. All of this is joining what God is already doing around us and expecting him to move. So we need to move from a mission then that is shaped by a frantic busyness and to a mission of faithful presence. A mission that is shaped by our responsibility primarily to a mission that is shaped by God's responsibility. And the good news in this is that you are already where you need to be. You don't have to drum up the presence of God. You don't have to behave your way into good standing. You don't have to measure success the same way the world measures success. No, simple three things. Show up, 
be present, and join God. That's what it means to be on mission. That's what it means for a church to be on mission. David Fitch, you wrote this book called Faithful Presence. It says, Faithful Presence names the reality that God is present in the world and that he uses a people faithful to his presence to make himself concrete and real amid the world's struggles and pain. When the church is this faithful presence, God's kingdom becomes visible and the world is invited to join with God. Faithful presence is to only essential for our lives as Christians. It's how, we, how God has chosen to change the world. Practice presence and participation in the life of God, forming in the way of Jesus. This is the life of Jesus. Jesus practiced the way of the Father. Jesus was truly present with God and one another, and Jesus joined the work of his Father where we are. So I, I don't know, just to switch gears here real quick, what you think about when you think about belonging to a church. Every now and then we'll have people come and ask me, like, what does it mean to be a member at Restoration? Maybe you've wondered that yourself. Um, and, and right now, we don't have a formal membership process for, this, for where we are in this season as a church. That's just not something we have. Not saying we'll never have that. Not saying it's wrong by any stretch of the imagination. But for right now, that's just not something where we are. But we, what we want to do is still foster that commitment to moving in the same direction with the same rhythms together as a church family. We want to, to come and, and you to come and, and call restoration home. We want to see investment in the kingdom and the mission that what God is doing in and among us to love and be loved in community, to be cared for in community, and to watch what God is doing. We want to become like Jesus together. If this is the picture of the life of Jesus, that's what I want to become like. If we're not becoming like Jesus, church is frankly useless, right? It's just a hobby. It's just a social club. We should be formed by what we do together. So that's what I want to invite you into today. I think belonging to a church is less about having our names on a ledger, less about how we gather, and it's more and more about the kind of people we are becoming, the kind of people we are being formed into being. Restoration, it's an organization that is a reflection of who we are. It's not the other way around. It's not, here's who we are as restoration, therefore be that. No, we really, as individuals, create and reflect who we are as a church. And so as we become like Jesus, our church becomes like Jesus. So I want to close today just inviting you, if you're a part of restoration, if you've been a part for five years, for five months, for five days, to step into that commitment with us. We're not doing anything fancy here. We're not making you sign in blood. Um, we didn't have enough knives for that. Sorry. Um, that's a joke that nobody laughed at, and I'll cut that out of the podcast. Um, but we just want to invite you to consider stepping into that commitment and that common path with us together. So why don't you stand with us as we move into a time of communion? And I wanted to pray this prayer on the screen together as we close. the shared commitment we make to this pathway of moving towards Jesus together, that together we will practice the way of Jesus. Together we will be present to God and one another. And together we will join God's restoring work where we are. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for what you are doing and forming in this church. 
life together is often messy, is often painful, but it is so joyful to get to watch and be a part of what you're doing in all of the stories that you have gathered here. And Lord, I don't want to look back years and years from now and see that we were just playing church. I want to be made into the image of Jesus as a family. I want to be formed as a people of love who the world around us, like what we see in Acts, the world around us sees lives together so enthralled by the love that we have in Christ, by the love that we have for one another. They are drawn into the family of God. They can see visibly, tangibly, something that is so different and inviting and hopeful. So would you form us, God, into that image? Would you shape us, conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, not only as individuals, but as a family? Move us forward as we follow Jesus.